Welcome to episode 182 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with our annual Mobile World Congress Barcelona show wrap up. And I was on the ground in Spain. Anshul was remote. Man, there were a lot of announcements. I know I saw that you posted a Forbes article, right? I think it was about Qualcomm, I believe. First of many. Yeah, um, so get ready. I've got that one. I got that one out. That was a long one. Then I've got one for Intel, Lenovo, and Dell, and all the AI PC stuff becoming a business thing, which I'm covered. Yeah. And uh, I've got another couple coming down the pipes. It's MWC. Got got to get those things out. But yeah, it's been a busy few days. Yeah, I know. It's been, I think it's been a busy few weeks for both of us. All the pre-briefs, you know, a couple of weeks before, and then I was on the ground. Um, I behaved, you know, trying to get to bed early because I was just back to back and in, in meetings. And I will be publishing a Forbes article as well. It'll be early next week and it's going to be a big one as well. I probably want to have, I probably will not have multiple ones, but it'll be a pretty big one. I'm going to cover several topics and I'm going to talk about a few of those um, on the podcast. So let's jump into it. my first topic. And this was something that I wasn't necessarily tracking, but boy, as I got there and I started getting into meetings, it became quite evident. And it's APIs. And so you and I have talked about Ericsson's acquisition of Vonage over $6 billion. We've also talked about the Goodwill write-down that occurred last year. And I think everyone in the market, in the mobile market, was scratching their head. Was this a smart move by Ericsson? But you know what? I would say one of the highlights of the event for me and many meetings that I attended, there was a lot of discussion around API and how API and API approach can bring high degrees of programmability and the opportunity for monetization to these next generation mobile networks that operators are spending billions of euros and billions of dollars to develop. One big kind of development is with the Vonage management team in general. So Nicholas, he was president of Ericsson North America. He has actually now moved over to become CEO of Vonage. I missed this news somehow, but I know Patrick Moorhead, our firm's chief analyst, did spend time with him this week. I also had a chance in line, getting back on the plane to head home, to meet Joy Corso. And Joy is Bonage and CMO. And so we were talking about the opportunity that, that APIs bring. And we were joking about when the news initially broke with Ericsson's acquisition of Vonage, hey, they're the IP phone company. But what's interesting is I attended meetings with AWS, their telco team, and other briefings, even with some of Ericsson's competitors, there's, there was a lot of discussion around API and can it drive monetization? So the big question is, is Vonage positioned to capitalize? I think with, with Nicholas at the helm, Nicholas is a very charismatic leader. He's very smart. He did quite a bit while he was president of North American Ericsson to really promote the need for programmability because that just speeds the developer process and that speeds innovation and actual applications and use cases. So I don't know, and you're, and you're, you know, spending time remotely if you caught any of this, but it didn't, it wasn't evident to me during my pre-briefings, but boy, once I was on the ground in Barcelona, it was pretty evident. Yeah, I think I did see some of it ahead leading up to the show. 
just a little bit of like a trickling. Obviously, it wasn't there, so I didn't see the person. But sure. um, I definitely noticed a lot of talk of APIs, a lot of coverage of APIs. Truthfully, these APIs are really just pointing to what the network can do, right? It, it, ultimately, yeah. it's what you, you need. An API is, is fine. But you need an SDK to take advantage yeah. of the APIs. So right. I feel like that's a, maybe a missing talking point is we have to build a system of an actual developer kit to use these APIs. Because you can talk about APIs all you want, but if you don't have a good way for people to use them, they're useless. Just like a network slice is useless unless you have an API to take advantage of it. This is like a multi-layered thing, but I feel like this is something people should have been talking about sooner and maybe even talking about in advance of network slicing because network slicing is one of the ways that you can use this. But yeah, I just, I feel like this, it might be a little bit, I feel like we're a little late talking about this. There should have been a discussion we had last year. But maybe now is a time, I don't know. But yeah. that's my feeling is I feel like this is maybe a, a little bit of a late discussion. Yeah, I touched on it and that was a big acquisition on Ericsson's part. And you make a very good point. APIs are used to integrate different salute software solutions together. So you have API integration when it comes to networking. You have API integration when it comes to security. You have API integration that comes in lots of different forms. And as you mentioned, it's an application program interface. And as you rightly mentioned, an SDK or a software development kit is required to do that. And Fonage is providing those assets, those, those capabilities for this to happen. Traditionally, mobile network infrastructure was closed. And so we're seeing momentum around more open standards through the use of software-defined networking tools, as well as in general, just additional resources that are provided to developers so that they can develop those next generation mobility applications much more quickly. In the past, I spent time with, with AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile and at, at their lab, at their lab locations, and they would bring developers and provide them with, before 5G began deplo- be, uh, became deployed, provide these developers with test beds to give them early access to understand sort of the power and the capabilities that 5G new radio could, could deliver within the old limitations. Process, yeah, and the limitations and the guardrails. This just, this whole notion of API and programmability is designed to short circuit that and bring things to developers and access to developers more quickly. And I agree with you. This is something that should have taken more than a year to really catch hold, but I, I think it's promising. And so it'll be interesting to see. I'll be spending more time with Vonage and be following up with their CMO Joy uh, to understand their capabilities there. But everyone's talking about it. It's hot stuff. So we'll see if that actually leads to, to actual monetization. But let's go to your first topic. And you want to talk about AI is everywhere in the wild. And I certainly saw a lot of this. You saw a lot of this at CES, but I saw a lot of this at uh, Mobile World Congress as well. Yeah. MWC is really just a rolling on of the, the trend that started with CES, which really was a culmination of all of last year's AI announcements. This year, MWC, the big AI announcements were really from Intel on the client side, talking about bringing their AI PC vision to the business. So Dell and Lenovo both announced a lot of AI commercial PCs uh, that have the new Intel Core Ultra processor in it, which has its own NPU. And then also Qualcomm announced their AI hub, which is actually a, like a development platform for developers to find pre-trained AI models 
that are optimized for its hardware and its chipsets, so you can quickly deploy efficient AI models uh, on their devices. So developers can go to GitHub or Hugging Face, which is two most popular places to get those things and develop quickly on AI because they want people to use their powerful MPUs uh, more quickly. They also had a, a fairly cool AI demo where they were doing a uh, multimodal AI where you could talk to it and it could recognize both images and text and give you recipes based on what the image it was looking at. And because that way, it's not only identifying the object, but also conceptualizing what they can do together. So that was a really cool demo. Also, MediaTek had a really cool AI demo. I think the best AI demo I've seen today for generative mm -hmm. AI, where you could type in prompt and as you were typing the prompt, it would change. So like you say like dogs and it'd be dogs and like in hats and they would add hats running hey. and then show them running. And like every word you add, it just keep iterating the, the generative image to a new more refined version of what you were prompting it to do, but it also shows you how instantaneous and responsive the AI really is, which I think is a really great demo. And then on yeah. top of that, Qualcomm announced a new 5G modem, Snapdragon 8, X, X80. The big, the big takeaway is uh, six carrier aggregation, even certain AI capabilities, and it's not really actually more throughput. It's probably more power efficient. It's not probably on a lower process node. I forget which process node it's on. And it's probably going to be a next generation of phones. Yeah. More fragmented 5G networks will be able to take in more carriers and more efficient. And then the last announcement in this segment is the Fast Connect 7900, which is Qualcomm's second generation Wi-Fi 7 chipset, which also claims to have AI capabilities both on board and taking advantage of the SOC and what, so it's like a, a dual modal AI capability. I didn't get that much detail on that, even though I kept pressing them for it. And then uh, I didn't put this in my topics, but they also announced an automotive Wi-Fi 7 solution, which is actually the first Wi-Fi 7 solution for automotive grade use in market at all. So mm -hmm. that'll be really cool because first of all, automakers tend to be slow. Even if they would get a design win today, it might not be in a car for another three to four years. So anybody utilizing this now will probably have it in cars in the future, which will make sense because everybody's fault will be Wi-Fi 7 by then. Yeah, um, it'll take two or three years to get there. But I think but that's a good thing just support. for everybody to have. All cars default Wi-Fi 7, in my point. Obviously, it'll be mostly a, a premium device or premium car capability initially, and everybody yeah. else do Wi-Fi 6, but that's like the quick of it. Yeah, no, that's quite a bit, my friend. Let me jump into my second topic, and I'm going to talk about low-Earth orbit satellite service. And I did write a Forbes article a few weeks ago. I believe it was a Forbes article or was it a research net? I don't know. I am very jet lagged right now. I woke up at 4.30 a.m. Texas time, so I don't even know where I'm at. I think I'm in Austin. I'm headed to Bastrop at some point to my home. But, but I did get to spend time with two CEOs. I got to finally meet Abel, the CEO of AST Space Mobile. Um, there was an AT&T reception on Monday. He and I got to meet for the first time. Then I met with Satellite OT. Jamie. How they pronounce it? Yeah, I think. I don't know. I should have probably asked Jamie, the CEO, if I'm pronouncing it. I feel like it's Centelliot, but we'll see. I don't know. It's crazy. Anyway, I got to meet with him as well. And there are a lot of players in, in Leo, and it continues to be a space race. Then it's super hot. Just from, from at a high level with ASC Space Mobile and AT&T, uh, both Adal and Chris Sambar, who runs networks for AT&T, they, they were both very vocal about 
the opportunity uh, for the two companies to work together as AST Space Mobile moves closer to its production launch sometime in the second quarter of this year. Um, the good news is I may have an opportunity to go back to Midland and, and be there for what I believe is referred to as the chip-in. So that should be interesting. I don't have a lot of information to share beyond the fact that both AST, Space Mobile, and AT&T remain very bullish on the opportunity. Mr. Sambar basically stated he feels like there's no other competing technology as compared to what AST is doing. And AST has also historically worked with Nokia as well. So um, th there's a lot of technology that's coming together there. And certainly with one of the largest mobile network operators in the world gets behind something that's pretty positive. And just on a personal basis, Abel and I had a chance to, to, to talk about the digital divide. He is very passionate about that. He's actually, he told me he's on um, a UN, a United Nations Council that, that's focused on connectivity and bridging the digital divide. I think that's fantastic. I told him about my book. That's a work in progress. It can, it's been a work in progress for several years, but a lot of it was stymied during the pandemic. Cool. Yeah, but I'm picking that up and I'm even thinking about broadening the focus and including some technology areas like lower orbit and FWA yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, to I think you'd be foolish not to. I know, to write out the narrative, but that's exciting. And I think that a lot of T or they're an interesting company. If you don't know, they are based in Barcelona. So at Mobile World Congress, we have all of these companies come from around the world and many of them are not local. They're not Spanish based and they are based in Barcelona and Catalonian. Yeah, they are very focused on narrowband IT and what, what Jamie shared with me is that as they move towards production and the second half of this year, they already have MOUs lined up so that they'll be able to hit the ground running very quickly. And they're not focused on launching a ton of satellites initially, and that's AST Space Mobile's plan as well. AST Space Mobile talks to the fact that physically their, their satellites are larger and they're not, there's not a requirement to launch tens, tens of thousands of satellites like Starlink, but there are concerns about its size, but hey, it's give and take from that perspective. But just to round out the thought process with satellite OT or satellite, what's really interesting is that Jamie shared with me the, there's an opportunity for them to work with NGOs to uh, do some things that are very philanthropic in bridging the digital divide, where and these are sustainability use cases. And I will go into more depth in my Forbes article, but there may actually be an opportunity for me to spend time with that team as well as they engage in some of the, in, 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 these, these philanthropic efforts where the company will provide access. They're not going to provide the sensors, but work, work with organizations that are leveraging narrowband IoT sensors to do things like monitor deforestation and illegal poaching in very remote parts of the world. As you can imagine, deforestation in places like the Amazon region, Amazonian region, and wildlife conservation and, and places like the continent of Africa, where there's uh, little to no connectivity in remote areas. That's super exciting. So I, we were talking about the opportunity of my helping them tell their story. And, and so I'll, I'll probably be doing that in the future as well. But again, NTN and satellite continues to be hot. So what are your thoughts before we move to your second topic? I don't feel like there was really anything new in terms of news for, for, yeah, really for that segment. So. Uh, I don't really have much to add other than we're going to continue to follow this and talk yep. about the new next developments as things continue to occur. I saw some news about 
T-Mobile and, and SpaceX maybe getting a little bit too much uh, wiggle room for the SEC in terms of approvals and some right. competitors not being happy about that. So we'll see. But ultimately, I want there to be competition because yeah. I, I think this is a, this will be a function of smartphones where I, I still believe that 911 services will be done over some. Yeah, no, and the, the opportunity to augment like what AT&T is doing with FirstNet, I think is huge. But with that, let's go to your second topic. And it would not be a Mobile World Congress Barcelona wrap up if we didn't talk about mobile devices. And you, there, there were a bunch that were launched. Yes, some of them were launches, some of them were prototypes, some of them were teasers. So mm. I'm going to just roll through these real fast. Don't okay. waste anybody's time. Honor announced the Magic 6 Pro, which is their flagship phone. Xiaomi announced their 14, but their flagship was the Ultra. That might be the new hot in terms of smartphone camera capabilities. Mm. Both of those have the latest Snapdragon HN3. Motorola showed off a bendable phone, which wraps around your wrist. Uh, I saw it. Crazy. It's a new generation of something that they showed off in 2016, eight years ago. And it doesn't honestly look any more commercially ready, to be honest with you. <laughs> that's why, I, that's how I feel about it. And then we've got Techno, which is like more of a mainstream, like a more budget brand, very popular in Africa, has a, showed off a rollable phone concept. Lenovo showed off a clear screened laptop, which literally has no back. You can see through it and everybody had to pose with photos with their face behind it. I saw um, that. It was wild looking, man. Yes. Uh, that's very much a prototype. And then Xiaomi showed off their car because every Chinese manufacturer of anything now has a car, including Xiaomi. And then Samsung showed off more of their Galaxy Ring. They let people take pictures of it, which I didn't do before. And some people were able to try it out. I was not. I will hopefully eventually, if they ever send me one, I might have to just go buy myself one. And then yeah. last but certainly not least, OnePlus launched their watch, and I stupidly today decided not to wear it, but it's somewhere in my apartment here. I've it's actually been using it since before it launched. The crazy thing about that watch, and this is how I'll wrap up my segment, yeah. it's a dual OS, dual chipset watch. So when the phone is doing smartwatch things, it's on one chipset, and when it's doing like basic tasks, just telling time and reading your heart rate, it does it on a different phone, on a different chipset with different yeah. battery life. With an always on screen, I'm getting three days, which is three times more than I get on a normal watch with always on and with always on with the screen, not always on people are claiming somewhere in the ballpark of a hundred hours of battery life, which is four or five days. In my experience, when I had this, when I didn't have always on display turned on, I was getting at least four days based on my math. So really this thing is, it might be the revolution in how we get smartwatches that have full capabilities to the week, which I think is like the sweet spot because okay. charging your watch every night, it's not horrible because you're just doing it when you do your old phone, but yeah. not having to always charge it and being able to charge it when you feel like it or when it's convenient is just so much better. And that's why I think a lot of people wear these smart rings because you only have to charge them about once a day. But yeah, that's like the, the smartphone and device roundup. That said, I mind that my last topic will be XR stuff, which I'll save for after your third. Yeah, I actually, I saw the OnePlus at the event and Spencer Blake, who you and I know, but very well, 
he, he showed me the OnePlus watch and that's interesting. I didn't realize the dual chipset thing with the battery life. And I have an Apple watch. I'm wearing it right now. I, I wear it when I travel and it's, it's the ultra or whatever they call it. The, the ultra. One. Yeah. The ultra. And yeah, you've got to, you got to charge, you got to recharge the sucker at least every other day because it's got the always on display and that sort of, it's a bigger screen and, and, and whatnot. I'll also mention, I served as a Glamo award judge and. We, we honored the honor and, and that, and also I think the Google Pixel, but if you go hit my Twitter feed, you can learn more about that, but. So the Pixel one best like smartphone cameras. In the yeah, it did. Uh, there was an, kind of an honorable mention for the honor. And there was like, there's a Porsche design version of that as well. Yes. You Porsche design looks great. And it's, yeah, it's good it's honorable good. mention. Yeah. Honorable mention. But, but yeah, there are just lots of gadgets, lots of devices out there. You would have been a kid in the candy store, but you'll likely be back next year. So you can see it in the flesh. So. I will probably be, be, I'll probably go next year with little one in tow. Obviously, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. There you go. Right you could get a little papoose. Hey, walk around the show floor with, with your daughter there. But hey, I know we're running along. So I'm going to be very quick on my third topic. And I want to talk about Nokia. And. I had learned about this before the actual MWC of that, but I think it's worth sharing. Nokia is finding some renewed enterprise focus with Dell technologies when it comes to a couple of different things. One, private 5G networking. So Dell did announce that, that Nokia will be its preferred partner when it comes to private cellular networking opportunities. And Dell will still maintain a flexible approach to that sort of, it sounds like a best of breed, but. They will lead with Nokia. And I, I think that is important, especially when you take into uh, consideration the, the Ericsson AT&T tied up for open and, and how that's affected Nokia in the very short term, which also resulted in some reduction in workforce and, and that sort of thing. So I think the timing's great. Nokia and Dell have long been partners. Uh, Nokia has been leaning very heavily into Dell, especially for common off-the-shelf server technologies in the Dell PowerEdge. Uh, and so that leads me to the second point I want to make here. Nokia is sunsetting its compute platform. I forget the name. Uh, Matt Kimball uh, on our team is a compute expert. He would probably know if he was on the podcast with us today, but Nokia will be sunsetting its compute platform and they will be uh, consolidating that and, and moving 100% uh, uh, in a, in a, in a, direction with, with Dell and the PowerEdge uh, server platform. So I think that's great. Uh, Nokia needed, you know, needed some momentum, needed some wind, given the news with Ericsson and AT&T. And I think the other opportunity here is that Dell provides a very robust channel. Yeah. And a trusted channel as well. And if you look at Dell's recent earnings, they just killed it again. That, that path to enterprise is huge for Nokia because they've been challenged in the past when you look at what. They've tried to deal with like new eyes networks. Yeah. It's a service provider selling motion. Yeah. And I don't want to cut you off. You wanted to say I'll something. just give a little quick insight. I would say I'm not the most knowledgeable in the sector. However, it's quite obvious that Nokia needed some credibility in terms of compute and working with a reliable partner that has a good reputation. And I think Dell is still looking for telecom recognition. And I think this is a good partnership for both companies. Yeah. I think they both gained something out of this and Dell's reliability and their supply chain uh, are unmatched. Yeah. And I think that they're, they're a very trusted partner in the U S so Nokia knows they can work with them. 
And yeah, I just think Dell, to your point, they they killed it on earnings and it seems like they're probably, they're just one of those companies that's very hard to stop. They're just yeah. ruthlessly efficient in accomplishing their goals and they get rewarded for it. But yeah, that's... Yeah, and I'll just close it out. I, I did have an opportunity to meet with the Dell Telecom team. I ran into Dennis Hoffman, who's the general manager uh, on the flight over, and we just chatted just real briefly. But I didn't meet with Dennis, but I met with uh, Sandro and his team and um, a couple of other uh, Dell, Dell folks. And they continue to build momentum with their telecom uh, business. And they had they had several announcements. I mentioned the ones with Nokia, but there were some other announcements there that's really Further their momentum there. And what I like about Dell's strategy in its place of their DNA is that it's a very ecosystem-based approach. So they don't profess to, to be all things to all people, but where they have capabilities within compute, they're looking at showing up partnerships. They're doing reference designs. They're doing blue training and they're doing that sort of thing. All the right things, but bringing in the right set of partners like Nokia to be successful in telecom. So they're really raising the bar. They're competing with Hewlett Packard Enterprise in that regard and Lenovo as well. Um, I met with both the, the HPE Athenet teams and Charles Freeland that manages the telco and edge business for Lenovo. And I'm seeing a lot of promising things there. So I love how the, the, the traditional PC and compute companies are stepping up and they're really providing value add within uh, the telecommunication space. So with that, we're going to roll to your third and final topic. And hey, it's all about mixed reality. And that's one of your big loves. So I'll let you close this out. Obviously, there's a lot of attention being paid to mixed reality and, and yeah. spatial computing, thanks to Apple's Vision Pro launch. But at the show, it was just more of the usual suspects doing their their regular things. MWC, there's usually a good amount of mobile-related uh, XR stuff. Welcome announced the XR Hub, which is a reference platform that Vodafone actually picked up that we talked about last week in the reality right. hyper reality hub but the update was they changed the optics or the glasses so it's no longer the Qualcomm reference AR2 Gen 1 headset um, it's now a more sleek digilens based uh, waveguide solution uh, and then I was at Qualcomm ahead of MWC and they gave me their boundless AR 5G demo which was really cool because it was a enterprise-focused demo that showed how you could use AR glasses paired with a smartphone connected to a 5G network powered by Ericsson with a hollow light rendering solution to render a really high-resolution 3D model of a car or, or a city in a digital twin environment and show you how they can manage the user experience so it doesn't ever drop below a certain frame rate or a certain level of quality by turning on and off the graphics based on your connection and constantly pulling the, the experience to make sure that it's good enough and switching between the smartphone and the cloud and back and forth seamlessly by dialing down the graphics a little bit. And yeah, I, I think in addition to that, Oppo showed their next generation of their air glass. Every year I've been at MWC for the last few years, they've had a new version of their air glass. They had the one, they had the two, and now they have the three. The one was a single, single eye solution. So was the two. But the three is a dual eye, 50, mil, 50 gram lightweight solution. So it's super lightweight. They're claiming they developed these optics in-house. I think they're actually probably licensing someone's tech because nobody just pulls waveguides out of nowhere. It's a very complicated yeah. tech. So that I'm really excited to eventually try that out. 
MWC would have been my chance, but unfortunately I wasn't able to. So that's a big bummer. And then there are some companies that are coming out with our contact glass or AR contact lenses. Um, they say that they're going to have them in 2026. This company's called Expansio. Expansio. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'm a little hesitant just because there was a company called Mojo Vision that had hundreds of millions of dollars dedicated to this exact problem and they fail. Yeah. Well, lack of funding, which was like a moment where the market ran out of funds for XR right before Apple came to the market. So they shut down in January of 23, I think, but they still have a display business. So they're not fully shut down, but they shut down their AR contact business. So we'll see what happens, but I'm very hesitant about AR contact lenses at this point. And yeah, that's the roundup of XR stuff at MWC. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd want to put anything that had any sort of electronic connection to it in my eyeball, but I also have astigmatism and I tried contacts twice and both times I had to go to the ER to have, have them removed. So I have a very sensitive uh, eye issue there. But hey, man, we went a lot longer than 20 minutes, but we had a lot to talk about. I think it was a great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Oh, we hope our viewers and listeners had uh, enjoyed this week's topics. If anyone out there would like to provide insights for a future topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will's at Willtown Tech and I'm at Onshell Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next and don't forget to rate us and subscribe.